if you're if you're new to this this book Ecclesiastes, you might feel like, well, we just got dropped in the middle of a little bit of depression right there. And there's a little bit. This is there's there's some sadness here in our passage tonight. And Ecclesiastes deals with sort of sad topics, but at the same time, um, Ecclesiastes is also this beautiful, beautiful book that says that even as we look at the world and we think, ah, we're just here today and gone tomorrow, like the like the snow on the top of uh, Mount. Um, the mountain there, and it's just the, the it's gone. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm that, that that's how good my brain is working at the moment. The mountain is all I can muster, but apparently that makes it me more local anyway. So I was just, yeah, that's that's what it was. That's what we're doing, um, and and it's just so often falls in the morning, and when our house happens to be able to see that, and then by lunchtime you can't see it anymore. It's just gone. And, and the idea of living in this world for gain, to try and gain things for ourselves, to secure our future. The writer, to the writer here of Ecclesiastes, the great teacher, says it's like trying to catch smoke. It's like trying to dive off Mount Wellington into the, the clouds and trying to hug them and grab them and just like and, and land on it. And it, it, it only brings pain when you're driving after wind. And so we're going to dig in a little bit into this, uh, this deep philosophy and yet this beautiful uh, part of God's Word tonight. Now, I've got, a, I've got a game to start with, and so this is a full audience participation. Uh, you don't have don't full it. You don't have to if you don't want to. It's okay. But we're going to do... So if I, I'm going to give you two options. This game is either or. And you put your hand up for the first one or your hand on your head for the second. Okay? So, squares or circles? Squares or circles? Ooh. Okay, a few squares, a few circles. All right. Okay. Uh, fine dining or Macca's drive-through? Ooh, wow. We are a bit hoity-toity in this congregation, aren't we? Okay. All right. <laughs> the excitement of starting a new project with all the work ahead of you and like, wow, the possibilities. Or that exhausted satisfaction at the end when the work's finally done. Which one, which one gets you going? Which one do you like? Yeah, see, it's interesting, isn't it? Different people like that. Um, okay, here we go. What about this one? You can have everyone like you, or you can have everyone always like how you smell. You can always smell good. So all, everyone like you, or always smell good. No matter, like you've just done exercise no matter what. Everyone's like always like you, right? Okay. Oh, okay I thought I'd get a couple of people with a smell. Fair enough. You're sitting next to a sleeping patient, but they're in the cancer ward. Or you get a front row seat, and I mean a front row seat, as a mother gives birth. Sitting next to the patient in the cancer ward, or a front row seat as a mother gives birth. All right, most people are sitting, <laughs> sitting with a patient. Oh, no, no, we've got a couple. Okay, here we go. All right. Um, funerals, going to a funeral or going to a party? Funeral, party. Interesting. There's an age discrepancy here a little bit. Mm. Someone at church calling you out for your behavior. Or chilling and listening to Taylor Swift. <laughs> all right, all right. Popular music of your choice. Getting rebuked by someone at church or chilling out listening to music. Okay, a few different ones here. Cool, cool, cool. Um, frustration or laughter? Right, there's not a single hand up for that one. Right. The old days, the good old days, or now? 
good old days. Oh, there's lots of nows. Now, look, <laughs> some of them I use slightly different words, but apart from the first two, actually every single one of those was straight from the passage. There's a couple of little smug nods from people who picked that, and they're like, yeah, I knew, I could tell. <laughs> what made you chose the things that you cho- chose in that? Like, like what, was your, what, was, what, what was it that made one better than the others? Was it, okay, I'm evaluating what's going to make me feel good, what I'm going to enjoy doing? Was that which told you which? Or was it what aligned with your values? You're like, no, 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 I, I, wanna, I always answer what's truthful and what matters to me. Is that the kind of person you are? Or Just take a moment. What were you thinking? Answer that question. How did I... What criteria do I use to choose? In what sense was one better than the other? I mean, if we, we're going to dig into this, this, this verse that we've got here, this start of the start of the Ecclesiastes, the day of death is, is not better than the day of birth in every way. Like, it's not in every way. I was there at the birth of my children, and I've been there at the funerals of my grandparents. And I know which one I would prefer to be at, to prefer to relive. And so the teacher must be saying that it's better for a particular purpose. For what purpose is the day of death better than the day of birth? So I've taken a highlighter to verses 2 to 4 to kind of make it obvious. Tim, if you can flick us to the next one. The sense in which each of these are better is in the effect that they have on the human heart. Now, the heart, or the, the word lave in, or lavev in Hebrew is an interesting sort of, it's an interesting word. It's not, it's not Hollywood. It's not Disney. It's not talking about feelings, right? The heart for the Hebrews is the inner person, everything that's going on inside you. So thoughts, choices, ideas, feelings, spirituality. Uh, quite often, um, lave actually means something more like your mind or your will than it means your feelings, Right? And so, as complex as the inner worlds of people are, you might think you've got a very complex inner world, this covers all of that. It's all the inside stuff that, you, that, that, that we don't see. That's the life. That's the heart. And so, some things, the teacher says here, are better for your heart than others. And he's not talking about cholesterol and sugar and sort of, you know, trying to have that, that old debate. Something is better for taking into your inner world of thoughts and feelings and decisions. Now, he gives us a couple of reasons here, particularly for for, for some of this early stuff. He says here, death is actually the end for us all. Like, for everyone. Like, that's that, like, are you, are you aware of that? If, if you're not, uh, Mel and I went to a, a Sufjan Stevens concert, a uh, very cool, very, very, very cool musician, and he has one song, 4th of July, and the main lyric goes, oh, we're all going to die. <laughs> and, and, and the song gets louder and louder and louder, and uh, when you are in the venue and you start feeling it in your chest and the, and the line gets repeated sort of towards the end, as you, go, it, you walk away a different person. And it's interesting here that the teacher doesn't say, oh, here's what, here's what being at a funeral should teach you. He says, no, you've got to go. Did you notice that? Like, he doesn't say what it's going to teach your heart. It just says it will. So go. I'm not going to let you cheat. <laughs> Real life experience learning doesn't work that way. You've got to be there. You've got to be told what you'll learn from it. It's a lesson to experience. Now, look, we, 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 we mourned the loss of John Jansen not that long ago. 
And I think many of us learn many, many things from the experience of walking with him in those last days. Now, secondly, though, it's because being with people who are hurting is good for a human heart. Being with someone who is hurting. See, frustration is better than laughter. Why does it say? Because a sad face, as in seeing a sad face, being with a sad face, is good for the inner person. For me to be with someone who is going through a hard time, they're not a friend dragging me down I should cut loose. Not that I know any of you have that would not that any of you would have that attitude. But that is good for me to be with them. This is where you'll learn wisdom, these places. Not from the drunken chatter down the pub, not from the fruitlessness of human chatter, but the face-to-face experience of being with people in sadness. Now, I want to make a little observation. I don't think we're very comfortable at doing that as a culture. Uh, and, and it's just as much the person who's experiencing the sadness as the person who, who's unwilling to listen. Our culture is an avoidant culture. And we can, because we have got the internet everywhere, and podcasts, and stuff. There's a million different things that we could access. And we can access our friends so quickly. And yet, we avoid conflict. <laughs> So desperately. Do you know that if I was, if I reckon, if I analyzed all the conversations that I have had with people between the ages of 10 and 30 over my last 10 years, that there is one thing that I would conclude that people are more scared of than anything in that age bracket in Australia awkwardness. It was so awkward. Like that was deadly. Like I couldn't survive a couple of minutes of awkward. My goodness. And we have phones to medicate our awkwardness and to take us to someone else who is a little bit like me so they'll make me feel a little bit less awkward. We run away from this. And so the teacher here says, we've got much to learn. We've got heaps to learn. Um, he gives us this, 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 this good of perspective. Um, this, this perspective of being able to see that this world has limits places where we can't go, and for all of us, that's beyond the day of our death. Right, jump forward to verses um, 11 to 14. That's the next Bible readings. Wisdom like an inheritance is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter, but the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. And yet, consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he's made crooked? When times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider this. God has made one as well as the other, and therefore no one can discover anything about his future. The reason I grab these verses and put them a little bit forward is is because I want to set up what the the rest of this talk is going to be about. Um, I think that living life in this world is like skydiving without a parachute in a cloud. And it's cloud all the way down. Now, the reason I say that is because at the end of, at the end of life is death. <laughs> so, similar. The start of life is always the same place. And in the middle, you don't know what's going to happen. You're just flying through the cloud. You can't really see much. You don't know what's down there. You've got no idea what's coming up ahead. But you've, got a, you've, got a, you've probably got a fair amount of time in there, though, right? Like a fair way off the ground when you start, at least if you're any good at skydiving. Although you don't have a parachute, so you're probably not. Anyway, but but you, 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 what are you going to do in the interim? 
You could freak out and panic and go, and, and, and go nuts, or you could work out a way to make it work as well as you possibly can. Maybe you could even end up enjoying it. Maybe. Some, some people go skydiving for fun, right? Like, I don't, I don't understand this, but apparently it's a thing. And, and maybe, maybe if I was forced to, I could get there. So what this little bit of Ecclesiastes is doing, though, the rest of Ecclesiastes says, hey, life is smoke, life is a cloud, you can't grasp it, you can't, you can't navigate it, you can't know what's going on within it, but there are some solid bits within that cloud. There are some ways that you can arrange the cloud, that you can live the life that are still good. And this chapter here, chapter 7, gives us, hey, here's some wisdom. I'm not all against wisdom. I'm not telling you wisdom's useless and completely dumb. Here's a few bits and pieces to help you navigate as you've jumped, jumped out of a plane, you lived life, you got born, that's just how it is. Here's how to have fun while you're flying. So, verse 7. You come on down to verse 7. You flick forward. We've got verse 7 there for me, Mr. Tim. Thank you so much for doing that. Keep coming forward to verse 7. A couple more, I think. Oh, I didn't get 7. I must have only got 8. My apologies. I will grab seven because I have that because, you know, I have that sort of thing in my fingertips. Verse seven. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool and a bribe corrupts the heart. This is a bit of wisdom for life. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool and a bribe corrupts the heart. It corrupts the inner person. So don't fall into the trap of profiting off the misery of someone else, he says here. As you live life in this misty world, don't steal. Buy ethically where you can. Maintain your integrity, he says. Guard your heart and your inner world. Lest it be corrupted. And so don't accept a bribe. Simple enough. Verse 8. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. It continues the theme here of character. Play the long game of character, it says. Don't let your ego push you into <coughs> short-term bad choices. <coughs> Choose the right way to live and then, and then consistently move the needle in that direction. Don't be tempted. Play the long game of character. Even though you don't know how long it's going to last, it's still worth it in the middle of this mist, says the teacher. Verse 9. Flick forward for us, Tim. Thank you so much. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. We have to, to do two things. Firstly, cultivate a disposition of control. Just get used to having to do that. No matter what level of feeling is underneath it, cultivate that ability to control rather than flying off the handle. So that if you do find yourself really angry, really losing control of someone, your mates at school, your brother, your sister, your mum, your spouse, your kids, a workmate, it's actually good to know that you're angry, isn't it? Having the feelings a good light on the dashboard to understand there's something wrong under the hood it means that I'll address the relational problem with this person because I'm angry at something, so I'm gonna, it's the anger that you're just forcing me to address it. But learn to cultivate the control so that you don't sin in your anger and you can love in your anger. But, but then the second thing that we have to do here is cultivate the ability to direct the anger in a wise way. To, 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 to take the anger away, because anger is sort of most often a way that we use to, to, um, to, to deal with the fact that we feel really sad about something. 
and work out how would I actually go back to the sadness and then bring reconciliation in the relationship rather than need to live in the anger. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit. Verse 10. Don't spend all your days living in the safety of the past. Imagining that what we need to do is get back to the glory days. Just as living in the past is not wise, neither is judging the present to be inadequate by the standards of the past. There is that kind of self-indulgence in nostalgia, isn't there? As you sit back and you think of how good it was and that it should really be like that now. And I find it easy to maybe judge others as well in that space where they're not being as it was back then, implying they're so much worse. It's sort of that, so in a way, nostalgia is this substitute for actual living in the moment, action in the moment, being present to be a blessing to others in the moment. It is not from wisdom that you ask this, says the teacher. All right, teacher is going to move forward. We're going to move forward to verse 15. The, the teacher is moving towards this conclusion we hit last week, uh, and he says there, I'm determined to be wise, but wisdom is beyond me. This was, we, we had this at the end of last week, and this is, these problems we just had actually live, build up to that. And so the next few Proverbs, while being generally sort of about how to live while skydiving through a cloud, they start to push into that space where there's limits as to how much the wisdom is going to offer you. Because you, 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 just can't, you just can't be wise enough when you don't have a parachute and you're falling through a cloud to, to actually navigate that safely. And, and so these are words, and we should hear them as such, of a man who is thoroughly dissatisfied with the conclusions that he's had to come to. So he's dealing with life. He's worked out as much as you can about life, but he, he, he knows that these are the best answers i got, but they ain't good. So as we read them, read them as sort of like the final straw. Now, look, I've got a friend. Um, uh, he's got a phrase that I really like. He says, I try not to risk, the, I try not to risk committing the sin of over-preparation, is what my friend says. And I, I, like, I like that line. Um, and I think the teacher does that too here. Have a check it out. Verse 15. <clears throat> Thanks to verse 15, if that's there. Thank you. <clears throat> in this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these, the righteous perishing, perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. So why be over-righteous? Why bother so much with all the wisdom? Doesn't guarantee you get good stuff anyway. <clears throat> why destroy yourself? And don't be over-wicked. Don't be a fool. you probably die before your time if you do that. You see, when he looks at life under the sun... Purely from observation and reason, he's like, well, look, this is as good as it gets. And isn't that kind of how most people live? It's kind of find the medium, so it's not too bad either, either direction. I have to work too hard, but I don't, I, at least I work hard enough so that things don't get really bad. And he's like, look, you know what? Without the divine stepping in, life just under the sun, that's kind of as good as you can do. Why strive for perfection, seeing as you're going to hit the ground anyway? It's going to spoil everything that you, that, that you, that you got to. But equally, why cut the minutes you do have free-falling shorter by dying in mid-air by doing something really dumb? You can see it's a very limited wisdom, isn't it? Verse 19. Wisdom makes one, person, one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. See, remember, if you can master this wisdom thing, it'll really help in life, but... Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous and no one does, who does is right and never sins. True righteousness is actually <laughs> true righteousness is actually unattainable in the first place. You can't even get there. 
There's just this impracticality in life about acting as if you can. I mean, have, do you know anyone who wants to get everything perfect? Do you look at, see them when you see them in the mirror? That's the perfectionism is it, the pressure that it puts on your mind and your heart is really hard. Uh, maybe maybe some of you have felt the despair of that predicament. Who 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 here that has that sense of failure to live up to your own standards for yourself? What you wish you could be, and feels a despair in that. Put another way, maybe some others might relate to these words of a similar thing better. What wars are you fighting? each day you know what, what what are the what's the biggest daily struggle you have the thing that you know you really need to work on that's your war that's your thing teacher here just it's almost like he just asked this other question if this thing you really need to work on and he just sort of asked oh do you do you do you need to worry about it like you do now I'm not telling you the answer I can't know but just you know Letting you know, the teacher just asked the question. He's a bit of a tease. He's a philosopher, and he throws stuff at you, much like Socrates, his, um, his uh, contemporary, as we saw when we looked at the timeline a few weeks ago. And so it's almost like in this next line, the teacher caves into the limitations of the world. Just, just there's nothing much you can do. Flick forward to verse 21. This is, this is great. Don't pay attention to every word people say, or you might hear your servant cursing you, talking behind your back. For you know that in your heart, many other times you yourself have cursed others. That's a good bit of wise advice. Like, how have you spoken about other people in the car when they cut you off? Have you what ill-timed words have you mentioned that you're really glad no one? sat in on, because actually, that's not really how you feel about them. Not in its entirety. So, when you do hear something from someone, just, well, maybe just ignore it. Might be better off. Might be wise. It's a cracking, double-edged sword, those two verses there. And in a way, what he's trying to do is tell you to be careful what you let into your heart, like he has been the whole chapter through. What words from other people do you let into your heart? All right, we're done. We're done through the Proverbs. We've picked up bits of wisdom. We've seen some limitations. And I just want to do one little bit of application for our Aussie culture. Um, And will you please permit some generalizations that are wrong and be willing to be the exception to the generalization? And then they're not meant to cover everyone. But I think I'm going, to, I'm going to pick on older generations and then middle generations and then younger generations. I think Australian culture is, is, is really foolish sometimes. And sometimes our older generations can be foolish by living in denial of their sorrow. By living in denial of their hardship. Only wanting to be the one who's fine, the one who can get through it. She'll be right. I'm tough. I can deal with it. And I'll, I'll actually care for you instead. Now, there's times and places for that, but, but the, this sort of... I don't even know, it's, I don't know what it is. is. Is it out of shame? I'm not sure. But did no one ever give this generation permission to just say, oh, that actually hurt me, and I'm finding it hard? So some of our older generations rob themselves of the deep wisdom that comes with actually 
facing sorrow rather than just fighting sorrow. As if somehow it's a godly or a better option to just stiff up a lip and pretend it's not really true. Brothers and sisters, I think we rob ourselves of wisdom. We rob ourselves of the wisdom of being in the house of mourning, of being in the sad place when we do that. Now, a second thing from the older generation is that they have faced far more sorrow than we have, us younger generations. I put myself in that just for this purpose. They have, had, they have friends who they grew up with who are dead. They, they may be grieving losing hobbies and interests and sport. The idea that they could even still do that is like, man, that was, that, that was a grief of a lifetime ago. They may be grieving losing abilities that they used to have that you take for granted. And they used to be just like you. They probably were fitter than you and stronger than you and stuff. Like, you know, at least in some things. They probably don't feel much different now, except that it all hurts when they try and do it. Probably feel exactly the same up here. It'll be you one day. Now, young people, be wise and learn from the suffering of those who are older than you. Stop mucking around with people your own age only. As in, like, not only them. Talk to the older people who are here. Ask them questions. Find out what hurts. Find out what doesn't work. Be with them and appreciate them as they share that stuff. Thank them. Honor them. Learn from them. This wisdom is found in the house of sorrow, and they've been through it. Stuff that you haven't yet, and maybe you will. So ask them. Humbly ask them. I suspect they'll give you what you ask for. Now, middle generations, people like me who are sort of trying to make it look like they still have hair. Um, some of our middle generations are facing the sorrow of losing our heroes. See, when you get to a certain age, one by one, you realize that all the people that you looked up to aren't actually perfect. Now, people, there's a lot of people who have had conversations with me over the last few days as we go through this talk who are going to be like, oh, you got that from my conversation. It's like, yeah, I know, but I, got, I had that conversation with four or five people. One by one, our heroes fail and fall. And after a while, you can lose your confidence in humanity and then maybe even lose your confidence in people. And then you think, but how could God be any different? It's a, this is something worth talking about, I think. If you've, if you've been in that space, you've seen someone who you used to think you used to admire so much and you're like, but how could they do that thing? That's something to talk about. Talk about your loss of your heroes. Um, second thing for middle generations is I think that some of us are realizing that things are never going to be what we thought they were going to be. We were going to conquer the world, weren't we? Well, maybe not the world, but you just had a few small things in mind that you were going to do pretty good. And it's just not turned out that way. And man, it is easy to, 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 to explain that away, to come up with an excuse and then not deal with the fact that, no, I am disappointed about the fact that it didn't turn out like I thought. Or it's easy to fight it. To, to read the next self-help book, to get really good and to become so awesome and to almost get to that thing, to, to, to prove and, and then you realize oh, I, that's working so hard to actually, to actually make the dreams come true. Actually, maybe that's actually this grasping for wind that the teacher said was so dumb the whole way through and I'm miserable as I do it. So some of us in middle age need to uh, not not fight or deny those disappointments, the things that we haven't lived up to, but rather to face them. Now, younger generations. This is where I get to, you know, down my nose, young people. 
Some of our younger generations can pick up actually any of those previous two generations stuff as well, right? Because you, you guys are the guys we learned it from. But there might be one or two things that are young people specific. And I think for some younger people, we can expect that there's always an answer for our suffering. There's got to be. A pill to take, bottle to grab, series to watch, member of humanity to chase romantically. And when it doesn't seem to be a way that's very Christian or proper to do it, there'll be another way that's not very Christian or proper to do it. But those things will not take your pain away. They will mostly just dull it, distract from it, until it reaches this semi-manageable throb under the surface that will burst when you get it to about my age or somewhere. <laughs> you, are not, you are not owed a pain-free existence, young people. That won't happen. And that's not because you're bad. I, I, we're going to finish with this one verse. Can you, can you put up on the screen for us that Hebrews 5, well, one passage, a little passage. Hebrews 5, 5 to 9. I want you to read this. Because this is God talking about His Son. Right? In the same way, Christ did not take on Himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but His Father God said to Him, You are my Son. Today I have become your Father. And He says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. High honor, big deal. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, <clears throat> He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. Fervent cries and tears. Let's face the hardship. To the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. He was willing to face the pain. Feel the pain. And the last bit. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made complete. That, 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 that word is translated perfect sometimes or whole. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey Him. You see, it's precisely because God loves His Son that the Son walked the road of suffering, embraced it, felt it. Hard times are like the bear hunt, right? Can't go over them, can't go under them. You've got to go through them. Or you just sit with them forever. But if you go through them, face them, it's not a shameful thing. You go through them with your brothers and sisters for church and with your God in communion and trust in your God as God the Son did, well, that's how we become complete. I avoid suffering. But maybe I'm actually just avoiding becoming the complete man that God's got for me to be when I do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us. And God, though suffering and evil are exactly that. They're evil. They're not good. Father, you have plans to bring about the completeness of your people through that. To make us whole, perfect, finished. For us to reach the goal of our creation through it. So Lord, over these next days and minutes after church, Father, may we start chewing this over, talking about it. What does it mean? How would you do that? How can we step into the seasons that you give us when they're, when they're hard ones, when they're bad ones? And how can 
the brother be there for the day of adversity? How can, the, how can our church be the, the, the rope of many cords? That's not easily broken because as each of us goes through painful times, we're banded together and we are each other's strength, not just to keep ourselves together, but to connect each other to God. Father, we just ask that that would be what had happened, that, that we would do that for each other and with each other and that you would make us complete. Amen.